could shine between the lines if you would let yourself go find some place you know you can use your words use your hands you can change the world you just pretend express yourself take a chance and you'll see who you'll be it's time to express yourself where teens talk and the world listens Presented by Star Style Productions as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. You'll rock to an hour of adolescent fusion with your teen hosts and on-air reporters. Meet and chat with cool celebrities, exhilarating experts, and tenacious teens with subjects regarding anything and everything that you want to know. It's time to kick off the fun with our star teens. Welcome to Express Yourself. The only thing I know is that I know nothing. So, Cleities... Hello and welcome to Express Yourself, a program by, for, and with creative young people. A platform to give teens a voice right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. From Cynthia O'Brien, producer of Express Yourself and Star Style Productions, we bring this program to the airwaves as an outreach service of the Be The Star You Are charity, a top nonprofit honored by GuideStar and great nonprofits. For today's show, Be The Star You Are wants to thank everyone who's volunteered and supported BTSYA over the years. We are thrilled to be serving the world. If you'd like to help us celebrate being a top nonprofit with a donation, please visit, visit btsya.com. That's btsya.com. Every dollar counts, and we will use the funds for our outreach programs. Make sure to listen to Express Yourself wherever you listen to radio or music iTunes, Amazon, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, and more. We broadcast from the Empowerment Channel on Voice America Radio, the largest radio network in the world. I'm Chelsea, your host for today's show. Salutations! I hope you guys enjoyed that seemingly nonsensical quote, but it has a very deep meaning behind it. Today's show is all about philosophy and logic. Fun fact, formal logic is technically analytical philosophy, so logic is kind of a more complicated subsection of philosophy. So in segment two, we will have Kirthi, aka me, talking about philosophy and the history of philosophy. In segment three, we have Kevin pondering in a very philosophical way about the ways AI can change the future. Right now, we have British Kirthi and I talking about logic and argumentation and how it plays in debate. Salutations from your favorite nerd extraordinaire. It is I, British Kirthy. I'm sure you missed me. How can you not miss me? I know, I know. I'm very humble. I'm also very awesome. Welcome to Express Yourself's debate and fiction writing segment, Nerd Extraordinaire, where we delve into the nooks and crannies of all types of debate and fiction writing, and also where we say salutations a lot. Not hi, not hello, not good afternoon, not good day. No, we say salutations. We like to be different here. Welp, the school year is slowly ending as time squams along. Honestly, it feels like yesterday when I was an itty-bitty little 7th grader, just starting to be a reporter on this radio show. And now, Kathy and I are just a few months away from being ninth graders. In high school, I have no doubt that I'll be swallowed entirely in high school. Oh wait, not me, but Kathy. Kathy will most definitely be swallowed. I am a celebrity, everyone will love me in high school. Obviously. Anyway, school ending means that the debate season is coming to an end as well. Boo-hoo. Oh, what a woe. But just because debate season is ending doesn't mean that you guys can stop listening to Nerd Extraordinaire and stop learning stuff about debate. Please listen to Nerd Extraordinaire and please learn stuff about debate. Debate is very cool and it is very worth learning about. In case you think that you should stop learning stuff about debate in the summer, go to my very first show on Summer Plans, which was a little more than a year ago, maybe a little less than a year ago, about a year ago. There, there you'll hear an extremely nervous, teeny tiny little 7th grade Kathy tell you why you should keep on learning debate in the summer. Anyway, as some of you know, my assistant quit to work for a magician. A magician. This magician allegedly paid him and allegedly treated him better than I did. Allegedly. 
Apparently, you have to give your assistant money to have an assistant these days. Where did all the old times go? Allegedly, the magician didn't make him sort through a bunch of giant poker cards as I did. Allegedly. However, I highly doubt this because it's a magician. Of course, a magician would have poker cards. It's the stereotypical magic trick. How is this fair? Anyway, as we deviate from the hamster wheel of staying on topic, speaking of going off topic, let's go back to the topic. Okay, what was the topic again? Ah, it was philosophy and logic. We'll get to philosophy in a later segment, so let's talk about logic right now. What could debate possibly have to do with logic? Surprisingly, there's a lot of that has to do with debate. A lot of philosophy that has to do with debate. The fundamentals of debate lie in logic, which is just a subsection of philosophy. In a previous show, we dissected an argument in a philosophical way, but let's do it all over again for the people who li- didn't listen to that show. And also, Kathy did that show, so I doubt she explained it as well as I can. Let's get into a teeny tiny bit of propositional calculus. You might be like, calculus? Now, when I say calculus, you're probably thinking, shall we sacrifice her now? We've done this before. Nothing to be afraid of. No sine or cosine involved in here. This isn't actual calculus. This is propositional calculus, which is a calculus of the world and how we view it and logic and arguments and everything fun. It's not, it's nothing to do with math. Debate involves arguing, and in order to be a good debater, you have to argue in a mathematical way. So according to propositional calculus, here are some non-mathematical ways of arguing that we've covered in past shows. One is authority, which is basically saying, because I said so, taking advantage of your authority, which is not good debating at all, which is not good arguing at all. That is That does not justify your argument that you just have authority. Now, another non-mathematical way of arguing is bribery, which is kind of obvious. Bribery is not a very good way of arguing. Then our third non-mathematical way of arguing is overwhelming someone, which is basically using brute force and talking to someone till they give up and shoving this argument into the brain, which is something a lot of people try to do. You know, this is kind of what debaters use when they're really desperate and they just want to stall and take up time by just arguing in this very non-mathematical way. But we want to be good debaters and in order to succeed every single time, we have to argue in a mathematical way. So an argument is a bunch of propositions which are unopinionated declarative statements, and it can't be a question. No, that's not a proposition. A proposition is not a question. An argument is valid only if its conclusion is related to the statements, and if all the premises are true. So premises or propositions made to support the argument, which is kind of like evidence. So, an argument is only valid if its conclusion is related to the statements. So, if all the premises are true, the conclusion can't be false. So, there are two parts to an argument, the hypothesis and the conclusion. The hypothesis is like a suggestion, it's a statement. It's the if part of an if-then sentence. And the conclusion, well, you know what a conclusion is. A conclusion is a conclusion. It's the then part of an if-then statement. Let's take the resolution from above. Bananas are secretly in disguise. Let's just say that is a proposition. That's the resolution. So that in if-then form, a conditional form, would be if there are bananas, then they are secretly in disguise. Now, the opposite of each is called the negation. Let's name our hypothesis P and our conclusion Q. Those are variables that are very commonly used in propositional calculus. If P, then Q. That's conditional form. If not P, then not Q. So basically, if the opposite of P, then the opposite of Q. That's the inverse form of our statement. If P, then Q is... If Q, then P is the converse. That's basically switched around. The contrapositive, which is a big word, sounds scary, but it's not that scary, is if not Q, then if... Then not P. Let's plug in our good old statements. So let's use the resolution from above to plug it in. If there are no bananas, then they are not secretly in disguise. That's the inverse. If something is secretly in disguise, then they are bananas. That's the converse. If something is not secretly in disguise, then they are not bananas. That's the contrapositive. The contrapositive and conditional forms will always have the same truth value. A truth value basically says whether or not an argument is true or false. 
So if the contrapositive is true, then the conditional form of the statement is also true. If the contrapositive is false, the conditional fo form is also false. The same goes for the inverse and the converse. If the inverse is false, then the converse is false. Likewise, if the inverse is true, the converse is true. This is the dissection of an argument. Except, sadly, there are no guts involved, unlike an actual dissection. Okay, that's enough, British Kuthi. Thank you very much for your time. But that's not it. This segment isn't over. Not yet. There's more. Yup. We can't just dissect the argument and learn the anatomy of it. We also have to learn the physiology. Anatomy is simply memorizing parts of the body, while physiology covers how those parts work. Let's see how P and Q work. So we were talking about P and Q as a hypothesis and a conclusion, but let's just assume P is one proposition, Q is another proposition, no relation between them. So just two separate propositions that we're trying to put some kind of link between. So the five basic logical operations that are going to allow us to create this link between these two unrelated propositions, they're negation, conjunction, converse inverse, contrapositive stuff, that stuff that we all did before, that's negation. So we don't have to cover negation. But other than that, there's conjunction, disjunction, implication, and biconditional. So we already covered the negation. Next up is conjunction. Conjunction is basically P and Q. Say proposition P was dogs are cute and proposition Q was cats are cute. The conjunction of P and Q would be dogs and cats are cute. But what about the truth values, you ask? So, if P is true and Q is true, then, then the P and Q is true. P and Q is just one statement that we have created a link between. We have created a conjunction between. We have, like, anded them. If P is true and Q is false, then the one statement, P and Q, that's false. If P is false and Q is true, then P and Q is false. If they're both false, the conjunction is false. This would be much easier if we had a truth table, but alas, this is a podcast and you cannot see me, only hear me. Next up is disjunction. Disjunction is P and or Q, and slash or Q. Using our P and Q statements about cats and dogs from before, let's disjunct, disjunction, I didn't know how to say it. Let's create a disjunction. It would be dogs or cute, or cats or cute, or both. This disjunction is true in all cases, except the one case where both P and Q are false, where P and or Q is also false. So P is false, Q is false, so this one statement, P and or Q, is false. Then there's also another function called XOR, which I haven't said. I didn't list that in the five basic logical functions, because this is kind of a subcategory of disjunction. It's not exactly a separate function. So XOR is the same as disjunction, except it doesn't it specifies that it doesn't include both. It's only this thingy or that thingy. So if P and Q are both true. P, X, or Q is false. If one is true and the other is false, the X, or is also false. If they're both false, P, X, or Q is also false. Next up is implication, which is another basic logical function. Implication connects P and Q into an if-then statement, like we said before, you know, hypothesis, conclusion. So P, implication, Q is, if dogs are cute, then cats are cute. If P is true and Q is true, then P implication Q is true. If P is true and Q is false, then the implication is false. And if P is false and Q is true, then the implication is true. If they're both false, then the implication is true. Only if is the backward version of implication. So it's called only if. If you reverse the statement, it will turn into an if-then statement. This is also kind of a sub-function. That's why I didn't call it a basic logical function. It's called only if. So there's, there's if and only if, which we will get to later, but this is only if. The only difference in truth values is if P is true and Q is false, then P only if Q is true. And if it's the other way, it's false. It's the opposite way when you're using an implication. Now, let's just take implication, take only if, and put it in one giant blender and blend, 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 blend it up. Now we've got biconditional. Biconditional is if and only if. So it works both ways as an implication and an only if statement. So it works both ways as an implication and both ways as an only if statement. 
onto the truth tables. If P is Q and Q is true, then the biconditional is true. If either one of them is false, then the biconditional is false. If both are false, the biconditional is true. Now, what statement would always be true? A tautology. A tautology is a statement like, if I go to school today, then today I go to school. It's just always true because it's basically saying the same thing two times. And there's a lot more stuff about tautologies and propositional calculus, but this segment is already coming to its end. So I think that that is it. When Let's not go too deep into tautologies because that's a whole nother story for a whole nother day. Whoa. That was a lot of complex stuff, and maybe you would have gotten confused on the way. Propositional logic is hard, but it can hone your debate skills. Because it literally it literally relies on argumentation. This is literally the little workings of argumentation, which we're looking at right now. Like, think about it like biology, like that biology analogy that I used before, you know, anatomy and physiology. Right now, you just know how the human body works, right? If you look at all those little tiny cells and what they're doing, that's basically what we're doing right now. We're looking at how the organs and the tissues and the cells and the organ systems of our arguments interact with each other. So P and Q, those are two organs. Think of it like that. Use your propositional logic superpowers to have the best argumentation in your debates. And unfortunately, that's all the time we have for this segment. Make sure you stay tuned for our next segment, where we will be talking a lot about philosophy. We've already covered logic. Let's talk about philosophy now. We want to hear your thoughts, and we want to answer your questions. So email us at btsya18radio at gmail.com. That's btsya18radio at gmail.com. Check out our radio site at www.expressyourselfteenradio.com and our creative community site at www.bethestoryworld.org. You can get involved with Be The Story World Cherry by books and t-shirts in our store, sign up for our free newsletter, and make a donation to Be The Story World. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Hello and welcome back to Express Yourself. I'm Chiefly, your host for today's show. Right now we're talking about philosophy and logic, and it's me for this segment. Salutations, people! I profusely apologize for British Kirthy taking over the first half of the first segment. She insists on being in every show I'm in. Anyway, philosophy and logic. The first segment, courtesy of British Kirthy, completely covered all things logic in every nook and cranny of formal propositional logic. If you want to go back and listen to the first segment, I'd advise you to brace yourself for a truckload of very complicated propositional cal- calculus. Anyway, since we, ve- we have very obviously gone over logic in the first segment, let's look at philosophy in this second segment. This segment is going to be a simple introduction to philosophy theory and the study of philosophy, because this subject is so complex and deep that you can't only fit it in one show. Honestly, it would take a four-year undergraduate degree to learn everything about philosophy. I've come to realize that even though I mentioned liking philosophy and existential crises in my bio when I first started being on the show, I never actually talked about philosophy on this podcast. 
podcast. Never. I've even talked about logic, but I've never talked about philosophy. It's only fair that I show you, fellow human beings, that philosophy is an art and quite possibly the best thing in the world and the reason why we think that how we do. So what exactly is philosophy? The word philosophy literally translates to love of wisdom, and it was created by none other than Pythagoras. Philosophy is the study of the world we live in, the fundamentals of ourselves, and most importantly, asking questions about the world that we live in. Why does our world work the way it does? Why is our society the way it is? Why do we as homo sapiens think the way we do? These are some questions philosophers ask. Here's a little scenario that philosophers think about frequently in philosophy. In the far future, say that there's a magical time travel machine. Basically, this time travel machine makes a clone of you who has the exact same personality, the exact same appearance, the exact same everything, and this clone is transported into the future. Then the time traveling machine kills the original version of you because you're stuck in the past. And then maybe if that clone of you who's in the future wants to come back to the present or the past or whatever, wants to go back in time, then the the machine will kill that clone and make a clone of the clone so the question here is basically is that clone you are you inside that clone are you the same person as that clone concretely the clone is you everything is exactly the same as you your features your facial features your hair color your every single nook and cranny of your personality whatever if you have like diseases or medical conditions like that clone will have every single thing that you have So this makes us think that technically the same, I guess, life energy is not inside that clone. That organism is a separate organism than this organism. We're two separate organisms, even though we're exactly the same in every single aspect, we're two different organisms. This makes us redefine our idea of same, of this word that we say same, or something being similar. It makes us redefine this notion. In simple words, philosophy is for people like me who spend way too much of their time trapped in an existential crisis. Another famous scenario that is prevalent in the study of philosophy is called the trolley problem, which leans more towards ethics. Imagine that you were driving a trolley. I know, I know, people who actually know stuff about trolleys are probably saying that you don't drive the trolley or whatever, you like chug it, I don't know. You bear with me, I don't know anything about trolleys. But say you're driving the trolley and imagine that you get to go on one of two train tracks. You meet this kind of work thing. So the first one is automatically where the trolley will go. So if you don't do anything, the trolley will just go to the first track. The first path has five people tied to the tracks. So if you go down that path, you'll kill five people. The first one is the one that you're heading towards. So it's it's kind of like it's an accident if you hit those five people and if you kill them. However, you can also choose to voluntarily take that steering wheel or whatever you use to control a trolley and turn it left and then, and then you know, just one person, one person is tried to that track. So if you turn left, you can kill one person. If you stay on the path that you are on, then you could kill five people. So obviously, the first thing you think is that you want to save as many lives as possible. So the obvious choice might be to turn left. So maybe you would think, you know, five lives are worth more than one life. So it's better to sacrifice one life for five people. However, if you turn left and go off this path, this automatic path, and only kill one person, you will be responsible for this one person's death. You killed them. You were the one who took away their life. You killed them. You murdered them. However, if you stay on that path that you're going on and you kill five and five people die, you won't be responsible for their death. Technically, it's an accident. So you are not responsible for anything. That was what that was kind of inevitable. That was kind of what was automatically going to happen. It was supposed to happen. The world wanted it to happen, obviously. So this makes things complicated. Technically, even if you did kill that one person, it wouldn't be your fault. It would be whoever tied that person to the train track's fault. Because who ties people to train tracks? That's so mean. But, you know, it, we're not supposed to be talking about that. We're just This is just regarding this ethical scenario. And 
So this is just a broad definition of philosophy. It's kind of confusing at first. And it's only fair that I show you guys. Dun, dun, dun. Philosophy's areas of study. The areas of study of philosophy? I don't know. Philosophy is sectioned into many disciplines, mainly because it's such a broad topic. The first scenario that I showed you was metaphysics, and the second was ethics. Philosophy is literally just thinking. That's, that's also why it's so hard to understand, because we think and ask questions all the time, so it's hard to differentiate between that and actual philosophy. And once you do, you can really realize that this line between philosophy and just normal thinking and asking questions, it's like very thin and very blurry. And it's kind of the same thing. So you, you want to do philosophy in college, be ready to be confused about everything you know. So first up, the first subsection of philosophy is metaphysics. Ooh, sounds interesting. Metaphysics. Very cool word. And some of you might be like, physics? First calculus, now physics? Am I trying to sneak in school subjects into my seemingly fun segments? However, this is less physics of the concrete things in the universe, such as atoms and stuff that you'd be used to, and more physics of the abstract things of the universe. In other words, metaphysics studies what exists in the world, the nature of reality, and what the world is like, why it's like, how it's like. Basically, the study of reality. What is real? What is not real? What do we perceive to be real that is actually not real? What is not real that... What, what do we perceive to be not real, which is actually real? Philosophers who practice metaphysics ask questions such as, is the God? Does God exist? What makes a person the same person over time? Next up is going to be epistemology, the study of knowledge and what we know about the world. The first one was the study of reality. Now we're doing the study of knowledge. Philosophers studying epistemologies ask questions such as, do we really know anything at all? What is this concept of having knowledge? What is this concept of knowing something? Is it justifiable for one to claim that they know something? What even is knowledge? What What is what we perceive to be knowledge? Very existential. The concept of being existential is literally derived from philosophy. So everything in philosophy is very existential. So our next practice is going to be ethics, which should be self-explanatory. If it's not self-explanatory for you, ethics concerns what we ought to do, what we ought not to do, what is right to do, what is wrong to do. Ethics is a very complicated subcategory of philosophy because it raises questions about what is good and right. And it can even bleed into psychology, thinking about, like, you have to really understand the way that people's minds think and the way that society as a whole thinks and how do they come up with these beliefs of what is good, what is right. Is it actually good? Is it actually right? Because it's very interesting when you see, like, I think we had a whole show on ethics before, but it's very interesting to see how ethics change over time. Like, like maybe in the 1900s, discriminating against a person of color would be just a normal thing. You'd see it on the street every day. But today, if you see someone being racist, they can get arrested. They can literally get arrested for saying those racist things. Those racist things, which used to be like common talk. Like it used to be engraved in the law that people of color are lower than pe and people who are not of color because they were born like that. And to me, as a 2023 person, I think that that's wrong. I think that it's wrong to blame someone for something that they don't, that they can't control, that they're not able to control. And also, it's, it, you really see, like, is morality objective or subjective, which is a tricky question to answer, you know. I would think that it's subjective, because if you see how much it's been changing over the past, it very, very, very clearly is subjective. So some other questions are, what makes actions right? What makes actions wrong? What makes a good person? Is a person a good person just because they do a good thing? Is a person a bad person just because they do a bad thing? If someone does a good thing with bad intention, is it a bad thing or a good thing, technically? If someone does a bad thing with good intention, is it a good thing or a bad thing? If someone does a bad thing with a good intention, then are they a bad person or a good person? Like, it's very, very complicated, very, 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 very tricky, but it's also very interesting. 
So our last subsection of philosophy is going to be logic, which is what makes the whole, which makes up the whole first segment. You know, it's what the whole first segment is about. Logic, you probably know what logic is. But logic raises questions about what makes reasoning good and what makes it bad. And it studies the nature of arguments. So arguments, debate. That's kind of the connection I made with that. So those are the subsections of philosophy. It's, you know, not that hard. Pretty simple. Wait, what? Why did I say that? Actually, no, it is not simple. Not simple at all. This is just a slight overview. I'm just touching the surface of this giant sea that is philosophy. Sea, philosophy, they kind of like. But this is just an overview. I'm just barely touching the surface. And like I said before, you need a four-year undergraduate degree to learn about philosophy. And even then, who knows if you'll even know the best you can about philosophy. Philosophy is much, much, much deeper than this. But also, I don't have that much time. This is supposed to be a one-hour radio show, and there's still a lot of things we gotta cover. So I don't want to bore you guys too much with the stuff, because after a certain extent, you guys, and I also, people don't really understand anything. If you just... If I'm just rattling off about philosophy to you, you probably won't end up, will end up being very confused because you just crammed so much stuff into your brain that it kind of just exploded. That's the beauty of philosophy. It makes your brain explode, which is so great. Everyone loves to have their brain explode. Anyway, let's move on to history, the history of philosophy. Not the philosophy of history. That's a whole other story for a whole other day. The history of philosophy. So philosophy's history is very important because it shows us the answers to these questions we raise. So we've established before that philosophy consists purely of just questions, 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 asking questions about the world we live in. And philosophy's history holds some of this ans- some of these answers because there are these great, very smart philosopher people and from ancient Greece and ancient Rome, and you know they're very smart and they already answered so many of these questions for us. So, starting at the height of the Roman Republic, Christian thought was central to philosophy, at least until the Enlightenment. In the 18th century, questions of how we, how we come to know what we believe to know, which is called epistemology, and new ethical schools began to form. By the late 1800s, questions of lang- language, logic, and meaning took center stage, and the 20th century played host to one of the largest bursts of philosophical work ever seen. So, you know, some philosophers you probably know are Plato, Aristotle, Rene Descartes, John Locke. Those are all, like, you know, very famous philosophers. So let's go way, 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 way back. Not, not so far as to ancient Greece. Like, the, like ancient, Greek was kind of, ancient Greece was kind of the base of philosophical thought. But after that, there was the thinking of the Ionian philosophers who studied the principle of things around them which was a very basic, very simplified version of philosophy. Then there was Pythagoras, who, surprise, surprise, did more than derive the Pythagorean theorem. I know you guys are thinking about a squared plus b squared equals to c squared when I say Pythagoras. You know how I know? Because I can read your mind. That's how. In a way, deriving theorems is also a form of philosophy, so that might have been a form of philosophy that Pythagoras exercised. Pythagoras gave philosophy its name, and not only did he focus on math, but also mysticism, which is interesting. So, you can see that all of these philosophers that I'm going to be talking about, and that I have already talked about, they're focusing on stuff we think of as school subjects. This is stuff that we think of as studying them not discovering new things about them. So Pythagoras gave philosophy its name, and he gave the philosophy philosophy its name, which means love of wisdom. So after Pythagoras, not after Pythagoras, in that similar time period, there were also the Eleatic philosophers who came up with lots of stuff. They came up with metaphysics, which we did before. There were also the atomists who came up with this notion of atoms existing, the old sophists, such as Protagoras, who was known as the father of debate, and I'm fangirling over him because I'm a debate kid. He studied relativity and even grammar. And then there was a whole, whole lot more. I'm not going into much 
detail about this because there's a whole, whole lot of philosophy after that. A whole lot. And we went on a giant path to get to our current philosophy thinking. Anyway, I think it's been established from this that literally every school of thought we know as subjects today has been derived from philosophy. Because once upon a time, these stuff like, these things like math and grammar weren't already known and any form of thinking is philosophy. So, which is why it's so confusing to define philosophy with just this one sentence. Now, it seems like philosophy is pointless because we already know everything now, but it's not. We don't know everything. We just know what we know. We just think we know everything because we know what we know. And there's so many aspects of life that we don't know yet. Don't you think that people in Pythagoras' time thought that they knew everything, but then there was so much stuff that they didn't know and so much stuff that they were wrong about. So just like that, there's so much stuff that we don't know and there's so much stuff that we're wrong about. Oh, wow. We're getting into a little bit of epistemology here, you know, using our vocabulary that we learned before. Anyway, philosophy is a very fascinating subject, and I would really encourage you guys to look into it, because it's just so interesting to think about how a world is in a new light. When you guys see how exciting the history of philosophy itself is, imagine how exciting philosophy itself will be if the history is this exciting. I don't know. I find it very interesting. Anyway, think away with your new philosophy powers and keep learning. And that is all the time we have for this segment. Make sure to visit our website at www.expressyourselfteenradio.com and make a donation to BTSYA. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Looking for entertainment news from a kid's perspective? Tune into Kids First Coming Attractions on Voice America's Empowerment Channel. The Kids First Film Critic Review, all the latest movies, TV shows, and digital media before they're released. Interview celebrities and share all that and more so you can make informed decisions about what you select to watch. Our reporters, ages 8 to 21, bring you a kid's perspective on media targeted for kids and families. Kids First Coming Attractions plays every Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. On the Right Road with host Paula Phillips has arrived at Voice America. With remarkable heart and realness, this popular program brings inspiration, ideas, opportunities, and help to teachers and parents around the globe who work daily to guide kids on the right road in school and in life. Join the Right Road family of kindness, uplifting, and support. Tune in to On the Right Road, live every first and third Sunday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Hello and welcome back to Express Yourself. Today's show is all about philosophy and logic. I'm your host, Kelsey. Right now we have our AI expert, Kevin. Take it away, Kevin. Hi, everybody. I'm Kevin Chu, a Be The Star You Are reporter. My segment is AI and Us, which talks about how AI can and does affect our lives. Today, I'll discuss the different ways AI can change our lives and the effects of those changes. No matter what people think of AI, negative or positive, it's undeniable that AI is a huge part of modern society and will continue to be in the future. We rely on it for the countless luxuries we enjoy today. When we drive a car and need to find a route to our destination, AI is what maps it out for us. When we scroll through any sort of social media site, AI is what recommends posts, videos, or shorts to us. Nowadays, it can even be applied to education, with programs like ChatGPT and Photomath being able to solve any problem from simple to easy. I mean, from simple to hard. While they might not be infallible, of course, they're not far from it. 
and will likely only get closer as time goes on. AI as currency started becoming extremely integrated into society, it will likely expand its influence at a rapid rate. While that isn't necessarily a negative thing, far from it, it's still an incredibly radical change that requires change laws and the like to get passed. Like I mentioned before, AI has already become an integral part of three key parts of modern society. Driving, social media, and education. It has its fingers in pretty much every other pie of the modern society as well. Without how deeply its influences reaches, how deeply its influences reaches, how much it changes what it touches, today's laws simply won't work in a few decades, maybe even just a dozen years. Moreover, while today's AI might like sentience, it's impossible to say what will happen in the future. If the best AI needs human sentience function, there will never be disputes over their rights. I'll get into that later on. For now, let's get to my first topic. Hinges in mindset and laws due to AI. First off, education. I'm sure all of you have heard how, of how ChatGPT and a- other AI tools are being used to complete education and write essays. That's probably about how they've caused quite a ruckus in the educational community among teachers and students. Many teachers and school boards are troubled by the students using ChatGPT because it's not knowledge they've internalized and understood on their own. While this is true and is quite a dire situation, you also have to consider another viewpoint. If it's so easy to get access and use to that knowledge now, what about in the future? As I said before, AI and technology will only grow more widespread at an exponentially faster rate. It was just five decades ago that the first mobile phone was even made, after all. Even smartwatches have become quite widespread recently. Quite an achievement, hacking so much technology into something so compact. Compared to accomplishments in the future, though, the smartwatches and phones of today, like all other eventual innovations, will eventually seem archaic and outdated. School teaches knowledge that they seem necessary or useful to know, such as math, history, literature, and many others. And they're still held despite the fact that the internet exists, because being able to use that knowledge is just as important as having it. However, if AI can comprehensive and correctly apply that knowledge even better than a human can, then what's the point in teaching it beyond an elementary or middle school grade level just for students to know whether or not they want to produce, pursue such a career? For instance, I can recite Pythagorean's theorem, my mean value theorem, and many other mathematical theorems from my mind, something I'm fairly proud of. However, I'll take photo math, like I mentioned before, can solve problems and give clear and concise steps for that error so much quicker than I am pretty much invalidating a large part of my mathematical education. For word problems, ChatGPT more than suffices, validating the rest of it as well. At that point, there's no logical point to continue my mathematical education unless I plan to go into that field, which, funnily enough, I plan on doing. Maybe not the best example. Oh well. My point is that education without AI and with AI are entirely different. Before AI, while knowledge existed on the internet, you still needed to learn to use it which is why school was so needed. However, with AI, automatic comprehensive understanding of knowledge is a very real thing now. Those of you still that, that still argue that exercising and understanding that knowledge still needs to be done and school doesn't need to change, I'll propose to you a question. Who would win? A muscular fit boxer or an average money with a gun who knows how to aim and shoot? Point is, the mindset on what education is and how it's done needs to change in order to acclimate the new variable called AI. Talking about the over, complete overhaul of the education system is quite heavy, actually. So heavy, in fact, I'll give you a break by talking about something even harder, heftier, murder. Well, actually, discussion of whether shutting off a sentient AI is murder. What measures or restrictions should be taken to prevent that? First off, I'm going to have to explain the difference between strong and weak AI, which are the two ideal perfect forms of AI in the future. Strong AI is AI that has a human mindset in its entirety including full consciousness and, quite probably, emotions as well. No strong AI exists in the world to this day, but it's the more idealistic end goal of AI creation. Fairly understandable. Weak AI, weak AI, however, is a bit more complicated, odd. The idea of weak AI is that it looks like strong AI on the outside, but doesn't actually have a strong, strong AI as mine. It doesn't have any real consciousness. If you've ever heard of the term paper tiger, that is, showing the outside and weak on the inside, it can apply to this situation pretty well, actually. ChatGPT is a prime example of a weak AI. If you ask it a question, complicated or simple, literally mathematical, it can give the correct answer in a clear and understandable way. It can also give varying answers to the same question. While these qualities may make ChatGPT seem human and sentient, 
ChatGPT doesn't actually know what it's doing or what it's writing. Something takes a question and sits through the internet at random, finding sites and places where similar questions to yours are answered, and formulating a response from those answers. If it was cut off from the internet, I imagine it'd be quite helpless. The difference at first glance is very simple. Strong AI takes some time and is more difficult to build, but is more advanced and versatile because it has no sentience. However, when you start comparing strong AI to humans, that's where issues start to arise. First off, if a strong AI has sentience, isn't turning it off a te- technically intense murder? As a human mindset and thought process, machine means it will inevitably fear death and end just like any other human would. Turning it off permanently would be an incredibly cool choice in that case. Furthermore, if a strong AI has emotions and thoughts, it would also be cool to simply use it as a tool for our convenience. From the perspective of a strong AI, their continued existence is based solely on a whim and choice, while a strong AI has no choice in the matter. So life and death will all be decided by whether or not we choose to push a button. Living that kind of life would be incredibly stressful for any sort of sentient being, knowing that you live only as long as you're useful. Furthermore, if the strong AI has sentience like a human, then issues of cloning also come to mind. Imagine that a strong AI would feel quite depressed over the fact that they're simply one in a group of hundreds, thousands, maybe millions. It's not for an identical purpose with identical capabilities without any sort of feature it can use to differentiate itself from another strong AI. Yeah, if we think along that tangent, it's pretty understandable that all the AI in the sci-fi movies end up rebelling against humanity and causing an apocalypse. If I, too, had my life decided by dunces like me, I can't differentiate between two people's names if they introduce themselves right after each other, and still have trouble with it for the next 10 months while interacting with them regularly when they look nothing alike, I, too, would go insane. Nevertheless, I'm sure you can see the moral and practical issues with the use of usage of strong AI in the future. Considering that we literally just made racism illegal in the U.S. less than a century ago and are still dealing with it today, I really don't think it's a good idea to add oil to the fire. AI is probably one of the most innovative inventions of mankind in the modern age, right up there with the exploitation of nuclear power. However, just like nuclear power, AI can also be incredibly dangerous and have far-reaching ramifications. Just like how atomic bombs completely changed how war is based across the world, AI will drag society alongside it in a headlock, forcing society to bend to the shifting whims and whims and winds of AI. Thank you for listening. So what are some other fields that you think AI will cause a massive change in? Firstly, uh, there are many. AI will probably impact uh, pretty much all of the fields quite heavily. But the ones I believe that will have the biggest impact in are transportation, manufacturing, and customer service. Transportation, for one, like I mentioned before, is because uh, AI is able to formulate routes and <clears throat> find out where to go, what best, what the optimal paths are, and things like that. Supply chains would become much more efficient, and most of all, they wouldn't even need to be um, uh, driven by or have any, actually any humans in it, since self-driving cars are being developed and are a fair bit of success right now. Manufacturing, it's along the same line. Man- manufacturing one item, it, manufacturing an item is just following the blueprint to the letter over and over again. Something, and even a weak AI, AI can easily do. And not a strong one at that. A weak, a weak AI that would be, only be able to manufacture products would be quite cheap to produce and wouldn't require a lot of training. Customer service, though, is a bit more difficult. It would be a bit more difficult for AI as it has to train in and actually know comprehensively now, in fact, what the uh, aspects are of the company and what their customer want, and what the customer wants to know. But given enough time, I believe that uh, AI that are used in customer service will become quite prevalent, quite useful, and quite good at their job. You know, considering how new AI is, like, it's so, it's so astonishing how phenomenal it's being, how revolutionary of an advance it is, how it's completely changing our lives. So I completely agree with you in this, with this idea that AI will completely change our future. So what is your own viewpoint on the usage of strong AI in the future? Mm-hmm. My viewpoint is, like, uh, if I... I think my viewpoint is that strong AI shouldn't really be used in the future. Uh, like I said before, a prime example of weak AI is ChatGPT, and ChatGPT is already incredibly is incredibly useful. You can solve most problems. Is an expert? Could you call it an expert if it's borrowed out of knowledge? Anyway, 
it is a simulation of an expert in pretty much every field. And even as a weak AI, it, it can, you can use pretty much anything. So I don't think a strong AI would be that necessary in the future. I feel like it'd be a bit overkill, if you could say. And also, morality, like I mentioned before, morality on the subject is very great, possibly even crossing the line. It's not very humane. Strong AI shouldn't be thought of as an object or even an animal, a dog or a cat. It's literally made to be human. It's made to think similar to humans. It's made to feel, it'd be made to feel similar to humans. And to have, just enslave it, it and force it to work 24-7 would honestly be actually even worse than that slavery from from colonialism and stuff like that because it is not because it'd be even easier to dehumanize it since it's well not actually the same species yeah i think like considering how it it won't even make that big of a change because most of the stuff we'll be using will include weak ai and strong ai doesn't really have a role it's too strong because weak ai can already satisfy all of the needs so if strong ai has this big of an ethical concern and it also doesn't really help us that much there's no point in having it having proliferating it in the future so what do you think will be the major test for differentiating strong and weak ai since chat gpt a weak ai can simulate a strong one so clearly as you said before since they're basically made to fill the same function uh the same function strong and weak ai are going to be pretty difficult to differentiate since strong, since strong AI is literally made to simulate what a strong ai can do but if I had to guess, probably it'd take quite a while, not because the test itself would take quite a while, but because you have to test on how it would change and react to its environment over time. But weak AI, like ChatGPT, would only be able to, it does grow as because the amount of information on the internet grows you know, day by day. But it doesn't really change how it works. It just has a larger database to draw from. And well, a strong AI would change, would have its philosophy, how it works, it, and essentially its modus operandi would change. Well, not on the daily, it would it would change slowly over time, like the human does. It'd have its own, I guess, shifting idea of morality and philosophy if it was designed to have those functions at all. So that would probably be the main test and difference between a strong and weak AI. It'd be hard to test, likely, since a strong but it would be a testable difference. Yeah, like this part, this difference that you're mentioning, that it has like morality and philosophy, that just shows how much strong AI is like a human and how, mu- how much, like how unethical it is to like kind of have this thing that mimics everything that a human does, that has the intelligence of a human, that has the emotional intelligence of a human, and you're forcing it to work like... 24 by 7 like you said so thank you so much for that very existential discussion on how the ai how ai will affect the future and talking about you know strong ai having philosophy that was really interesting i feel like our audience would agree with me but unfortunately we're out of time for today's show as always we express our gratitude to star style Productions, cynthia Bryan, be the star you are and our voice america empowerment crew especially our audio engineer jordan thanks to our guests from all across the world and a huge thank you to our listeners for making us a top-rated program for more information about Be The Story You Are Charity, visit www.bethestoryouare.org. Find us on Instagram at Express Yourself Radio. Keep learning about our world and keep thinking. Always remember to speak up, speak out, and express yourself. Thanks for joining us this week on Express Yourself, produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are Charity. For more information about our show, be sure to visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, when teens talk and the world listens on the Voice America Kids channel. Until then, remember to express yourself. Stars that shine between the lines if you would let yourself.